I will also praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, O my God. I'll sing praises to you with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you. My soul also, which you have redeemed. And my tongue will talk of your righteous help all the day long. For they have been put to shame and disappointed who sought to do me hurt. Those are the last three verses of Psalm 71, which is the psalm appointed for today, Thursday, November the 4th, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We're looking at the book of Ezra, the seventh chapter, the first 26 verses, continuing in our look at Revelation from uh, chapter 14, the first 13 verses, and in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14, the first 12 verses there. So we've been looking at Nehemiah for the last little bit and, and Nehemiah's role in rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem and restoring the worship of Yahweh there. Uh, and not just restoring it, but enforcing it um, because they had wandered astray in his absence as he went back to see King Artaxerxes. Now we're shifting over to Ezra, the scribe, the one who is overseeing the rebuilding of the temple and, and teaching the law to the people of God there in Jerusalem after the return from Babylon. So now after this, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra. And now we're going to get Ezra's genealogy. It's going to go all the way back to Aaron, the first priest, the son of Sariah, son of Azariah, son of Hilkiah, son of Shalom, son of Zadok, son of Ahitub, son of Amariah, son of Azariah, son of Marioth, son of Zeriah, Son of Uzi, son of Buki, son of Abishua, son of Phineas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the chief priest. And so he traces his lineage uh, and genealogy back to Aaron to prove that he is of the Aaronic line. Therefore, he has the right to serve as a priest in Israel. And we see that same kind of genealogy in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke particularly, that, that want to show us that Jesus is in the line of David. So likewise, here Ezra is showing that he is in the line of Aaron. In the Anglican world and in the, um, the Roman Catholic world and also in the Orthodox world, there's, a, there's sort of a, a, an idea of that, tracing ourselves, back, our, our ordinations back to the apostolic time. Now, those records are not clear at all. <laughs> in our cases, none of those records really exist all the way back to the time of the apostles. Um, and so we interpret as Anglicans, we have interpreted that more in the line of, we stand in the line of, at least as evangelicals, we, we stand in the line of those who have come before us. In other words, we uphold the teaching the church has always maintained. So this Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king granted him all that he asked, for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. And there went also up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king, some of the people of Israel and some of the priests and the Levites, the singers and the gatekeepers and the temple servants. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was the seventh year of the king. So Artaxerxes had been king for seven years at the time that Ezra came up. On the first day of the first month, he began to go up from Babylonia. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem for the good hand of his God was on him. So from Babylonia to there took him four months to get there. So that's about a, what, 28 days in a, in a lunar cycle. So then you're going to look at what 112 days was how long it took to get there. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it 
and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. So then this is a copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave to Ezra as he went. And, and Ezra describes himself here in three different ways. He, Ezra he gave to Ezra the priest, the scribe, and a man learned in matters of the commandments of the Lord and his statutes for Israel. So his qualifications that the king gives is, is that he is a priest, he is a scribe, and he is a man learned in the matters of the commandments of the Lord and his statutes for Israel. So he, he's going as an apostle and as a priest to teach. Artaxerxes, king of kings, interesting, to Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of the God of heaven, peace. Remember, that's the way that God has been designated in Ezra and Nehemiah by these Persian kings. They always call him the God of heaven. They don't see him as a temporal ruler, but they see him as somebody who could do problems for them. So they're ascribing to him great accolades. They've, they've, they've surely known the history and seen the history of the people of Israel and how the other gods of the nations have been defeated before him. Now I make a decree that any one of the people of Israel or their priests or Levites in my kingdom who freely offers to go to Jerusalem may go with you. So you can't compel anyone to do it, but if anybody wants to go back with you, then they have the freedom to do that very thing. For you're sent by the king. So he is an apostle in that way. He is sent by the king and his seven counselors to make inquiries about Judah and Jerusalem according to the law of your God, which is in your hand. In other words, these are the things you know about. I don't know these things, but you're sent to make inquiries there about the law of your God, which is in your hand, which is what you know as a scribe and also to carry the gold and silver that the king and his counselors have freely offered to the God of Israel whose dwelling is in Jerusalem, with all the silver and gold that you shall find in the whole province of Babylonia, and with the free will offerings of the people and the priests, vowed willingly for the house of their God that's in Jerusalem. With this money, then, you shall go with all diligence, buy bulls, rams, and lambs, with their grain offerings and their drink offerings, and you shall offer them on the altar of the house of your God that's in Jerusalem." Whatever seems good to you and your brothers to do with the rest of the silver and gold you may do according to the will of your God. The vessels that have been given you for the service of the house of your God you shall deliver before the God of Jerusalem. And whatever else is required for the house of your God, which it falls to you to provide, you may provide out of the king's treasury. So he, he's called him several things here. He's called him the God of heaven. He's referred to him as the God of Israel, the God that's in Jerusalem, and <clears throat> The, there's one other thing. Yeah, th those are the ones, I guess, that are there. But the God of Jerusalem, not just God in Jerusalem, but the God of Jerusalem. So so the king is, is saying, yeah, he may be the God of heaven and all that, but, he, but he's mostly just the God of, of you people and your place. And I, Artaxerxes the king, make a decree to all the treasurers in the province beyond the river. Whatever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of the God of heaven, requires of you, let it be done with all due diligence, up to a hundred talents of silver, a hundred cores of wheat, a hundred baths of wine, a hundred baths of oil, and salt, without prescribing how much. So you can have all the salt that he wants, but you're required to give him at least up to this amount of silver, wheat, wine, and oil. Whatever is decreed by the God of heaven, let it be done in full for the house of the God of heaven, lest his wrath be against the realm of the king and his sons. 
So he's recognizing that there's some extension of the power of this God of Jerusalem, God in Jerusalem, God of Israel, that that is possible that, that his power could extend outside of that area. Uh, we also notify you that it shall not be lawful to impose tribute, custom, or toll on any one of the priests, the Levites, the singers, the doorkeepers, the temple servants, or the other servants of this house of God. So in other words, they, they're to be exempt from taxation. And you, Ezra, according to the wisdom of your God that's in your hand, appoint magistrates and judges who may judge all the people in the province beyond the river, all such as know the laws of your God, and those who don't know, you shall teach them. Whoever will not obey the law of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be strictly executed on him, whether for death or banishment or for confiscation of his goods and or for imprisonment. So, so he is saying you, you can do whatever you want. You can teach whatever you want. Teach them to obey those laws so that there's peace in the kingdom. I, I don't need problems on the edges of the empire. So go and teach this, and you all obey your God, worship your God there in that place, lest that God be upset with me for prohibiting that in any shape, form, or fashion. So it's not a state religion. It's just the state allowing the exercise of the Jewish religion in that place and giving him authority to do whatever needs to be done for those who won't obey the law of that God. It's all about this, they're being redeemed, and they're being redeemed so that they can go back and serve their God in Jerusalem. In the gospel passage today, Jesus is um, in view, but it's mostly here about Herod. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus, and he said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He's been raised from the dead, and that's why these miraculous powers are at work in him. And then Matthew tells us the story about what happens to John, right? So Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother's wife, because John had been saying to him, it's not lawful for you to have her, because he married his brother's wife. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod, so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison, and his head was brought out on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it, and they went and told Jesus. This is an odd passage, to say the least. I mean, surely you know the story of John the Baptist and his beheading and all that, because he was Herod was a Jew, at least in name— uh, at least in name, but but he really wasn't practicing it, and he certainly wasn't practicing his Judaism when he took his brother's wife. Um, and so it's odd, though, right? This is John the Baptist. He's been raised from the dead, and that's why these miraculous powers are at work in him. You know, so what it, what he's basically having to say here is is that that we don't know this Jesus or where he came from, but people do know where he came from, and and there's a belief that persists in Judaism within certain circles. When the Chabad movement, for instance, the Chabad movement, um, there's a belief in, in in the reincarnation of souls, that the soul of one can inhabit another. It's an odd thing, and I'm not really sure why in the world that this comes about and how it comes about. Jesus certainly never refers to anything remotely similar to that. Um, but there's this this idea that Elijah himself, for instance, won't come at the last Passover, but, but that it'll be sort of the spirit of Elijah 
Um, and part of it, it kind of looks at the Elijah-Elisha story and shows that, that, that some of that power in Elijah he, uh, was transferred to Elisha. And, and you could say the same for God taking the spirit from Moses, some portion of the spirit from Moses, and giving it to the elders uh, at a time when Jethro said, hey, you, you need help. So there, there's an idea, like I said, it's a persistent idea in Judaism that has to do with reincarnation of a soul, and I just don't get why it's there. I haven't done enough research to know. But but he's convinced, here it is, that John the Baptist is here, and it's sort of like Scrooge in some levels, right? Because John's the one who who, who had confronted him, and now the spirit of John has come back, in essence, to haunt him for failing to not just... Um, with the with the matter of Herodias, but also in the uh, the death of John the Baptist, so Herod has this belief that John has come back, and then in the uh, Revelation passage, I looked and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him one hundred and forty four thousand who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads, and I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. Now in John twelve. Jesus hears a voice from heaven, and that's exactly the way some people heard it, was though it had thundered. And so here, John tells us the same thing. This is what it sounded like, this voice did. Um, And then he says, the voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. Now, who is this they, right? It's got to be the 144,000. So no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed out of the earth. It's these who have not defiled themselves with women for their virgins. It's these who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. They've been redeemed from mankind as first fruits of God and the Lamb, and in their mouth no lie was found, and they're blameless. So these are the ones who, who have been pulled out of the earth to serve in this particular purpose. And so the redeemed are the only ones who can know this song, those who know Jesus. And, and, you know, I had a friend that didn't believe, uh, well, another guy didn't believe that he was really a Christian because he didn't sing with his hands in the air. Well, I don't think that's the mark of a Christian, but but there's a point to what he was saying. He was just completely wrong, and that is that that we, we should feel it within our bones all the way into our heart whenever we worship the Lord, whenever we sing the songs that give praise and honor uh, and worship to him. And so it, it, it is an important thing for us. It's an important measure of our discipleship. It is an important ma- measure of our love for him, the way that we worship, that we worship with our entire being, not just in good thoughts. He says, Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people, And he said with a loud voice, this is the gospel that he proclaimed, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. So that the gospel proclamation begins with fear God because of his judgment and then worship him. Uh, So fear and worship are linked to one another, and and it is, they should be linked to one another, because you're going to see in a minute that that it matters that we persevere, that we persevere in our faith, that we persevere in the works that we've been given to do, no matter what happens to us in this life. And another angel, a second, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. 
she who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And we don't think this is Babylon itself. Um, we believe that this that it, it's a metonymy of speech that, that applies to, to the world, the world itself, the worldliness um, that, that entices and takes away uh, God's people. This is the, the, that from which we have been redeemed, actually. We've been redeemed out of the world and out of the world's system of thought and action. We've been, we've been redeemed into a new kingdom. And we are um, accountable in the same way that, that um, Ezra was to, to our God. And we are to know him, but we're also to know his words. We're to know his ways, and we're to follow those ways in everything that we do. And that's the reason Ezra said that he was determined not only to know but to, and to do, but to teach as well. So the, the proclamation is to fear God and worship him. And then the, it, the second thing is, is the world system, Babylon, has been overthrown and has fallen. And so there's only one option left. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. And he'll be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Do you want to sign up for that? It's, do you want to worship the beast and its image and receive a mark on the forehead. If you're going to be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb, this is not in hell where this is happening. This is happening elsewhere. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. These worshipers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of its name. Here's a call for the endurance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. In other words, you've got to persevere in this. It's not a one-time confession and then moving on. No, no, no. It's the perseverance in that confession and in a life lived in concert with that. And then I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. In other words, so, so what we carry into the next world includes our deeds, includes who we are and what we've done with what we've been given. We've been given much. We've been given redemption. We've been given freedom. We've been given, set free from fear of death and judgment. Let's not waste that. Let's make the very most of it, and let's teach others to do the same. We're all to be teachers of what God has taught us.